Welcome to the Immerse Podcast, where we look at God's Word to see why it matters for us today. Welcome back to the Immerse Podcast. My name is Keith, and I'm joined by James, and we have a really exciting show today for you. Uh, First of all, because in the midst of all of the tribulation uh, and difficult times that we've been going through, uh, we have a special sort of praise session today as we're pausing in the tribulation to view some amazing praise. But in addition to that, if that's already not amazing enough, we have a special guest with us, Pilgrim Benham, all the way from right outside of Tampa, Florida, and he is going to be uh, joining us today in the podcast. James, how's it going today? Good. Yeah, good. Doing well. Well, James, I believe it's your turn to read uh, this time. So if you want to kick us off with reading Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. (laughs) Very good. Okay, Revelation 7, verse 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What an amazing scene. We have literally been transported to the most amazing worship service. What an exciting text. James, if it's okay, we will take a break just for a minute to unpack that as we learn about Pilgrim. With us today is Pilgrim Benham from Bradenton, Florida, right outside of Tampa. Pilgrim, tell us about Florida, your family, and tell us about your ministry there. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Had a lovely flight, which, uh, you know, landing had some some drama, but uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, so I'm from Florida, uh, born and raised, lived in Georgia a little bit, which we just found out. Yeah. have that in common. Um, and yeah, I've got uh, been married. Actually, at the end of this trip, when I get home, I'll be back the day before our 20th anniversary. Wow, that's so, great. Pretty cool. So my wife and I got married when we were seven. So, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I say. So yeah, we have two kids, a boy and a girl, both teenagers. So pray for me. Um, But yeah, I pastor a church called Shoreline Church. Uh, It's a Calvary Chapel in uh, Bradenton, Florida. So kind of a sleepy coastal retirement and touristy community, Um, but just a little suburb of Tampa. And we had planted a church in Tampa in an urban context about... um, about 10 years ago, 2010. So um, that church is doing well, has a new pastor who took over from me. And then we planted a suburban 
church um, in in Bradenton. So, so what are yeah. the biggest differences between the urban church and the suburban church? Is it a totally different crowd of people you're working with, or? Yeah. So in um, Tampa, we had 500,000 people in one mile radius that were under the age of 30. Wow. So they would call me sir, basically a lot of them. Um, We, my wife and I, we were by far the oldest in the church. Uh, We had one older couple that got added towards the end and they're still there. He's one of the elders. Um, And and so they brought the the median age up quite a bit. Um, But yeah, a lot of young people. Therefore, typically when you're in an urban church with a lot of young people, you're, you're not um, financially, you're not fiscally doing too well. So, um, so it was a lot of, you know, we had a lot of homeless people coming in. We did ministry a little bit differently. We had communion every week. Um, and often we'd have the homeless community, you know, just help themselves and eat all the communion and, you know, um, just, yeah. So it was, you know, much more urban. Um, we did a lot of edgier things that we wouldn't necessarily do in a, in a suburban context, but the church we're at now, much larger, um, much healthier, a lot of, you know, diversity from the age standpoint, not a lot of racial diversity, whereas the church in Tampa urban, very, uh, diverse racially. Um, I think we had like 15 different nationalities on any given Sunday. So, um, yeah, those are some of the bigger differences. Um, so Pilgrim, did you guys, uh, at your first church in Tampa, did you guys have any translation and languages or did you guys just have people from different backgrounds or just people that had the backgrounds we would encourage. Sometimes we'd have worship prayer nights and we, one of the guys was a musician. So we would encourage him just to do a chorus in Spanish, uh, or pray. We had a German guy, uh, we had, um, Vietnamese. So we just say, Hey, we're going to pray for a little bit. If you want to pray in your heart language, you know, do that. Um, and then maybe go back and translate it. Um, since we didn't necessarily have translators, but no, we didn't necessarily have bilingual, um, services, so to speak. It's interesting today. We are talking about lots of people from different tribes worshiping God. Uh, we've come through part of the tribulation until, uh, and we still have quite a bit to go until chapter 19, lots yet to come. But here we are at a moment in time where we're paused, uh, and it's interesting, you mentioned the first church, lots of people, lots of different backgrounds. Do you have any comments on the scene of lots yeah. of people from lots of backgrounds worshiping God? Yeah, I mean, if you look at verse 9, um, a great multitude that no one could number, so it's it's innumerable, and then you know, John's quick to point out from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. I think the Greek there is as tapanta ethnos. So like from every ethnic group. So not just, not just nation nationality. It's not just like we're in this, you know, specific nation, but, but every people group. And currently from, you know, as we're saying right now in this podcast, I believe there's over 7,000 people groups, uh, as far as languages, native tongues that have not yet had the Bible translated, um, that are, are not yet Christian, meaning one or 2% of that tribe, you know, is Christian and sufficient to reach that tribe. So the work isn't done yet. So, you know, even as we look at this text, like there's still work to be done, but yeah, I think, I think that's part of the end goal, you know, from, for all of creation is the worship of God of all, of all people. Um, and so you, you kind of see that thread from the very beginning of scripture, um, it, it's, it's woven throughout the covenant of God with Abraham. It's, it's even there in Habakkuk two fourteen. you know, that, that God has a plan, um, you know, to, to be glorified among all the nations. It's all through the Psalms. 
So it's not just in like the book of Acts, you know, this idea of missions or reaching all the nations. So yeah, to me, this is encouraging. Like what a, this is the, we're getting to see the end of the parade from the middle of the parade. And you know, wow, one day, you know, what hope there will be someone from every nation and tribe and tongue. So to me, this is a beautiful picture, you know, of what we're going to experience one day. Can't wait. It's awesome. That's exciting. We are excited to have you this week in our service because in our service, probably similar to what you saw in Tampa, in our service, we have many backgrounds and this is like the English group. So just in this English group, we have lots of different backgrounds. So in this country, there are lots of different cultures and it's exciting to know that in heaven, there will be lots of tribes and languages I know when you come from a large country, everybody kind of seems this similar to you, but as you travel around the world and you see all these different types of people, it's just, wow, it's, it's, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. That's enough. And the podcast <laughs> right there. <laughs> okay. Pilgrim. I had another question. Have you ever preached through this and anyone asked you, uh, or have you written about it or, or anything about the difference between the 144,000 and this group, would you see them as the same or would you say uh, that they're different? What would you say to that question? Sure. Yeah. I, I haven't personally taught through the entire, I've studied it many times. Um, I've taught through one, two, and three. So like the seven churches um, study, but yeah, I mean, as far as interpreting exactly who is here, there's a few things we can we can definitely point out. So we can first see in verse nine, there's a great multitude that no one can number. So to me, that would say, no, it's not. It's a distinct group from the 144. Um, this is not just Jews. So we have people from every nation, um, peoples. Uh, we note that they're clothed in white, which is a picture of being purified from sin. They have palm branches in their hands. We could translate that a number of ways. Um, ultimately, they're you know, maybe it's a throwback to, you know, the people crying out Hosanna and, and inviting Christ to come. Um, and, and then they're, they're singing of the, you know, the salvific work of God who's sovereign and to the lamb, which is a representation of Christ. Um, so, and then you have angels and then you have elders and the four living creatures who are kind of, um, really the, the worship leaders in the midst of this. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's a totally distinct group. Um, and, if we're at a posture, probably most likely this is the whole multitude of the church. You know, this is the body of Christ, you know, coming together where when we're standing in this arena, let's say it's not necessarily where did you live? If you were to talk to the person next to you, but when did you live? You know, we, we look around and we see, man, there's, this is, you know, from, from all of history, this, this great group. So that's my guess, um, without, diving too deep into interpretation. I have a couple of comments here. I always thought it would be really cool uh, if people from the past that maybe we had been impacted by, I mean, how cool would it be to have fellowship yeah. with Dwight Moody, like from yesteryear, who was a hero, but... Yeah, I want to hang out with Spurgeon. Yes, sure. Spurgeon. We're going to have a beard section of heaven. <laughs> Great beards while on earth. The real man. <laughs> Well, Pilgrim, the second thing I had to ask you, James and I were talking a few weeks ago. I don't know if you can recall in your life if you had ever gone to a massive gathering, a Christian concert, passion conference where everyone was just singing really loudly and it just seemed like a really loud place. Yeah. Yeah. A few times. Um, I haven't ever been to passion, but been to several big gatherings. Um, I want to say it was Promise Keepers back in 
mid nineties, um, in Jacksonville stadium. And there had to be 50 to 70,000 men. Um, that was, that was pretty special. I think we were singing Holy, Holy, Holy. So it was very appropriate, you know, to kind of get a picture, a little glimpse of heaven. Um, and, and that was what everyone, that was kind of the thought was it, there's, there's almost like we were wired to think ahead. You know, you're wired to think back. Things reflect your memory. You go, oh, I remember that smell. It's nostalgic. It's almost like future nostalgia. Like we have this glimpse of what heaven's going to be like just in, in experiencing a great multitude of people worshiping. Um, but you know this, like worship is beyond just singing. But, um, but man, yeah, there's something special to that. So that's happened. I know we were at Student Life one summer where um, Chris Tomlin was leading worship and, and he's, and that was like the pinnacle, the height of his career, like worship music at that time was huge, um, that he was writing. So I think Jesus Messiah, he debuted it that night or something like that. So that's like when years ago. So, um, yeah, that was amazing. Well, James, I wanted to ask you a question. If we could pivot for just a minute, you wrote in a blog post about Matthew 24 and its relationship to this, um, something about tribes and every tongue, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Mm. (laughs) No, I think that was about as far as it went. That's the comment. No, that was about as far as it went. That when you, yeah, no, that when you read stuff like this, that's happening in the future, future, that then references back to other parts of the Bible, where this, this stuff is predicted. It just gives a lot of uh, what was that tremendous word you used a few weeks back about the internal veracity? Veracity of, of the Bible. Like how true is it? I had to Google. I had to Google it when you were when you used it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, just a, more of a not a serious point to make, but just a, when you read stuff like uh, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and people's languages. You think back to stuff like Matthew twenty-four, where it's almost predicted and prophesied and said that look, the word is going to go out to these people and all like the great commission, like go out and make disciples from, you know, in essence, every nation, tribe, people and language. So not a, no kind of profoundly deep insight, just, it just makes you think about. The relationship of the Bible proving the Bible. Uh, Pilgrim, we talk about uh, this subject a lot on this podcast. Actually, we seem to be parked on a few subjects. One is the church, because James has a great, great phrase. Uh, And the church is, let me see if I can get this right. Coming to church every week is not the cherry on the cake. And I always thought it was a cherry on top of a sundae. I did not know you could put a cherry on a cake. That's James's phrase. It's trademarked by James Travis. <laughs> but the point James is making is that Christianity is not only about coming to church. Hang on a minute. Oh, the, ch- the coming to church is the cherry right, on top sorry. of your cake. It's not your whole Christian experience. Yeah, right, the, right. It's the pinnacle of it's the, like, the whole thing. Of. It's not your entire. It doesn't end there. You don't come just sit and soak. We'll swing back around to the church in just a minute, but I wanted to ask James a question, and Pilgrim, uh, you also, and the the topic is worship here. 
Uh, I know James has been a worship leader or, I guess, participant in the worship team. Pilgrim, do you play anything, sing, or? I'm not a, I'm not a great singer. No, I'm not a great singer. So both of you guys do some things, but I'm not a musician at all. I mean, I, I can talk, mm. but I have never sang publicly. I mean, I would probably drive people away if I started to sing. But so many Christians think worship is just about singing. The etymology of the word worship is to ascribe worth to in the Old English. And because it's Old English, we're going to have to default to you on this one, James. You have to unpack it for us. Oh, so be, oh, I see. I see. So because it's Old English, you look yeah, at me as yeah. like a... <laughs> yeah, I've always been told and taught that worship is to ascribe worth. You're giving worth... To, to the object or the person that deserves worship. And we've talked about it a few times. I think we were sat in your car in the car park of the Avenues Mall and we talked about who is worthy of your worship. Right. So where should your worth, uh, yeah, to where should your worth be ascribed? So yeah, I've always been told and taught that. Yeah, that's good, James. Yeah. And uh, thanks for the affirmation. <laughs> of the meaning, the Old English meaning. Uh, It's interesting, a few years ago, there was a book written by a guy named Kyle Eidelman, and the title of the book is Gods at War. If you don't have a copy, I would highly suggest you get this very compelling and convicting book. And basically, the premise of the book is that there are various idols in our lives, and it could be a relationship, it could be a piece of technology, could be a whole host of things. And the interesting thing is, is that it's not that we're going to go worship these things, you know, kind of sing praise songs to it. That's kind of goofy. But you are going to ascribe worth to it. And uh, when you're ascribing worth to something else other than the Creator God, what that does is, is it it takes your passion away from Him. And that's really worshiping something else instead of Him. Um, So something is becoming an idol and taking you away from God. Mm, yeah, kind of the, like the first and the last things on your mind in the day, what you wake up thinking about, what you go to bed thinking about, right. where, you, where you spend your time and your talents and your treasure. In, what's the, the common thing running through all those three things? What, where do you spend most of your time? Where do you invest most of your talents? Right. Where do you invest most of your treasure? And not really just the places that you do it, but in what, in with what kind of spirit and what kind of heart you, you do it as well, I think. Well, Pilgrim, going back to your thoughts on worship, um, how would you unpack that word worship? What I mean by that is, for example, if you had a new believer and they asked you, uh, I want to know more about Jesus, I want to get involved in the worship team, you know, kind of how do I worship? How would you handle that question? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that you already are a worshiper. So uh, it's not a matter of, you know, um, do I worship? It's who do I worship? So I would say you're already, you know, I wouldn't even say these things may be idols. They absolutely are. The, I think Paul Tripp said it that, or maybe it's Calvin. Someone said the heart is an idol factory. Maybe it was Tim Keller, but the heart is an idol factory. So we're, we're constantly churning out based on what we've devote our thoughts to our time, talents, treasure, Um, those things are idols. I think the definition of worship is actually right here in the text. Um, If you look at verse 12, verse 11 says that these angels, the elders, the four living creatures, they fell on their faces. That seems to be an act of, you know, uh, reverence. And then it says, and worshiped God saying. So it doesn't say and worship God singing. 
So they first agree by saying amen. Amen to what? Well, back in verse 10, they're saying amen to the salvific work of God and the sovereignty of God through the work of Christ. So um, that the church is, is, you know, thanking God for. So, you know, part of it is saying, I agree with the, the plan of salvation through Christ and the sovereignty of God who Jesus has revealed, the Father. So it's not just... Worship is I look outside and look, it's beautiful. That's, I'm worshiping um, God just by looking. I mean, that's a picture, a small picture, um, but we need to make sure we're worshiping rightly, right? That's why Jesus says, you know, in the, the ultimate prayer that he teaches us to pray, the first thing we say is our Father. We don't just pray to the chair. We don't pray to artwork. We don't pray to uh, a statue, you know, right? We don't pray to saints. We pray to, uh, you know, the right we address the right person. So, um, and then they, they say blessing. So, you know, joy and then glory, weight, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might be to our God. And so I think like the best definition of worship is, is giving worth, giving weight and giving preference to whatever we find our ultimate fulfillment in, which should be God only. And that's why he demands it of us. And that may sound very selfish, but if God knows that he is the source of all joy, all light, all hope, then it would be, you know, he's jealous for that worship and we, we have, and he's deserving of it. And so, yeah, I would say, um, just start with you're already worshiping, you know, but worship rightly. Yeah, that's good. I like your emphasis on already worshiping because that's a point that I think people oftentimes forget. They think that they compartmentalize worship. It's like the, the weekly meeting, something we do at church and singing, but it's not literally everything in our life. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, uh, it, absolutely. We can, we can say, Oh, well, worship time is over and now it's time for Bible study and, or teaching time. But that, that is, I mean, getting up and having a cup of coffee to the glory of God is in itself a, a minuscule act of worship, um, lifting hands, crying out to God, you know, that's what we think of when we think of worship. But, but, ordering our life to give God worth and preference in any area, you know, is worship. So I think, yeah, it's easy to compartmentalize it and just make it, this is the singing part of our service at church on, on whatever daily, you know, weekly gathering that's worship. And we have to remember that's not the only context. Absolutely. I always feel like that giving is a massive act of worship because people have the wrong idea that it's their money and not God's. Well, we've tried to, to talk about this with slight changes in vocabulary that bring massive changes in how you think about things and like we'll, we'll we call the whole service a worship service and then saying little things like stop calling the 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 the, uh, the music people stop calling them a worship team because that puts in people's mind that worship is just the music so stop referring to them as the worship team right. And then telling people things like we are going to like welcome to the service. We're going to worship through singing and through prayer. So let's like stand together and let's pray together as we begin to worship. And then we're going to worship through song. And then into the, the message, you know, we're going to worship through song again, or we're going to worship through giving. And or like the Friday evening gathering that we've started, it's just a worship evening, and we're very clear to tell people that we're going to worship through uh, friendship and fellowship together. We're going to worship God through taking communion. We're going to worship God through looking at his word. We're going to worship through music. We're going to worship God through prayer. 
and small things in how you refer to stuff I think consistently will help people to see that like it's not worship is not that 15 minutes a week and that when we gather everything you do is a worship and then that's representative of what you go out and do in the week isn't it because otherwise if worship's just 15 minutes of singing with your your buddies on a Friday then you can't do that unless you're gathered as the church whereas if you can worship God through prayer you can do that by yourself yeah. you know, all, every day of the week like without ceasing if it's, you can worship through all those other things that we just talked about you can do that throughout your week if worship's just you know what I mean if worship's just 15 minutes once a week you know you can't you know it's just that's not alright <laughs> that's not enough that's not enough so James I was recently reading an exodus of uh, Moses going up on that mountain and coming back down to give the people the message when he met with God but when he came back down uh, an exodus it says that his face was so bright and I was just thinking if if we're supposed to be image bearers, and Pilgrim talked a few minutes ago about you know all the tribes in the world and being an image bearer to them, if we're supposed to be the image bearers to deliver this message of redemption, uh, the more we are in touch with God through worship, the more our faces will shine. Yeah, we've talked about that as well, I think, as we've gone through Hebrews, that everybody now has, like, you're reading, I think it's, is it First Peter, where you've been made a kingdom of priests? So that doesn't mean that everybody's doing the work of a priest and, you know, like, you know, zoop, making sacrifices and whatnot, but everybody's got the access of the priest. And like you're saying, to go into that tent, you know, in principle. Um, but, yeah, sorry, I thought you had out. Uh, that everybody's got the access of a, of, of a priest. But if we confine that worship to just our weekly meeting, then how bright are our faces going to be? Moses went up to that mountain and came back, and he was bright. He met with God. And I know that that was a little bit different time and a lot of different things going on there in that story in Exodus. However, uh, we have the Holy Spirit living within us today. And back then, to meet with God, you had to go in the tabernacle. So I think my point is, is that we have the ability today as adopted sons and daughters of God to be image bearers, to shine brightly, but it all depends on how we're in touch with our creator and how we're directing our worship. Yeah, like, I mean, we've got, we've got people who assemble with us, gather as us on a Friday and then work in a different country. Yeah. So they're here for a day and a half a week. And then we often... Um, we it's usually me praying at the end of a sermon and praying for people as they're going back out to the jobs or the communities or even the the countries that you, God's called you to at the moment. You know, people. I mean, they do it all around the, the Gulf, don't they? Sort of three, or f- maybe maybe two or three different countries. The resident here, and then come Saturday night or Sunday morning, they're at the airport and they're somewhere else for five days. No, I was just going to add. Um like the original, talk about Moses, like the original plan from the very beginning was enjoy my grace as the people of God and then extend my glory. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. You see that in Ezekiel as judgment is looming for all these nations that came against Israel. The, the reality behind that was that they may know that I am, that I'm the Lord, you know? And so I think, um, it's very easy for us when we think about the corporate gathering 
to just say like, oh, we're just here to enjoy the grace of God. And so we kind of huddle together. And yes, there is a corporate aspect to the church. That's why I don't ever say I'm going to church, but I tell my kids we're going to meet with the church. So it's a little bit of a distinction. Like, so I'm almost trying to start a campaign, like don't go to church. Don't just go to church. We are, you know, be the church and then meet with the church. So, so there's a special corporate gathering in reality that together we're coming to fellowship together and we realize in this corporate setting that there's something greater than us together. And, and all of us can acknowledge that. But, but we do enjoy his grace, but we don't just leave it at that. There's a, there's a scattering element to it as well. We're still the church. Now we're not gathered together. We're scattering. And the whole purpose of that scattering should be uh, to extend the glory of God to, to the nations, right? So um, whether that nation is the backyard that you're in contextually, or it is like to be launched out to the very ends of the earth. Someone in our church years ago said, if you were to go all the way around the world uh, from your starting point now and then stop a foot short, that's the end of the earth, right? So you're at the end of your earth. You're, you know, from Jerusalem, we actually kind of are in America further, you know, we're, we're more to the ends of the earth than Bahrain is. So um, it just, it's kind of interesting to think of it that way. I'm here to enjoy God's grace, but don't just stop there like Israel did. Now as the church were to extend his glory. Yeah. We live in such a global world that people are flying all over the place. I mean, even probably in your congregation, there could be business people that who knows where they might be, whether it's around the U.S. and the country or maybe globally, uh, Europe or wherever, going to a business meeting. I mean, people move around. Not only that, communication-wise, uh, I know in the days of Jesus, people, it was normal to walk 30 miles. It's just like a daily thing. You walk 30 miles, right? And so today, people are traveling all over the world communicating. I mean, a 12, 13-year-old kid gets on social media and they're chatting with somebody in another country. Um, and, and so message-wise, communication-wise, we have a greater ability today to communicate with the ends of the earth, which is right behind you a foot away, uh, by, you know, social media and uh, the technology that's been supplied. But hey, I wanted to ask one more question of Pilgrim as we uh, are kind of closing today, and that is Pilgrim uh, has written a resource that I think would be very good for the church, and I would love for you to talk about that just for a minute if you can, because as we worship and we want to become better disciples, like what's the next step? Am I setting this up right? Is that kind of what the theme is? Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, it's called Five Ships. Um, it's on Amazon. You know, you can download it, uh, the digital copy or, or print copy. Um, I think it's like five bucks. But the reason I wrote it was uh, it's written kind of from a pastoral perspective. So um, you can read it and not be a pastor, but you'll get a new appreciation for some of the ministry pastors do. But it was really written to kind of answer the the reality that a lot of a lot of us don't have any game plan for our walk with Christ. We, we kind of, what did the one person say? If you want to, um, you know, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so the analogy I use to kind of set the book up is if we were in a sports program and the coach said, all right, just go out there and, and, you know, make a goal. 
you'd have all these different players wanting the ball. Everyone would pass me the ball. I'm the game maker. I'm the playmaker versus really working together as a team and, and how to collaborate that. And so there's always a game plan. There's always a strategy behind that. And yet in ministry, many pastors have just kind of said, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're called to fulfill the great commission. What we're talking about here today. Um, we're, we're to make disciples of all the nations. Um, but what do we do in our local context to do that? And it's kind of like, well, I don't know, I guess we'll just lead people to Christ. And then after they're converted, we hope they'll grow. And we kind of just, it's a very wishful thinking versus a goal oriented strategy. And and I don't want to get too locked into a strategy. So the idea was just a very simple format. Um, and each of them end with the word ship. So the idea is that it begins with a certain place and then it ends with a certain place. So, yeah. That's a, that's a great plug for the book, and we invite anybody who's listening to go jump on Amazon and find that. Uh, so they just Google Pilgrim Benham or the five ships. Yeah, I don't know how many pilgrims yeah. there are on, on um, Amazon, but yeah, if you look up Pilgrim Benham and then it's spelled out F-I-V-E, five ships. Yeah. Well, Pilgrim, thanks it. for uh, dropping by. Uh, I guess it's a little bit more of a drop by when you have to fly that far to drop by, but... Thanks for dropping by and being a part of what we're doing here. And uh, we appreciate having you on the podcast. And James, we look forward to moving on uh, next episode. And by the way, we didn't say this the whole episode, but this is episode number 20. Mm, I don't feel like I've said very much. It's been very relaxing. I've just kind of sat and listened. I've been quite passive this morning. No, it's all good. 21 will be my thing. 21 will be my thing. I'll be back. I'll be back on. Back on board.